I'm Josh Boaz. I'm Matt Zucker. There are a lot of podcasts featuring top executives. But what about the next wave of leadership? The makers and the doers. The ones we're all going to work for. We wanted to meet them. Find out their story, how they got to where they are, and what they see coming for everyone. This is a spotlight on those on the way up. This is Rising. This week's guest is Joe Conyers, who's co-founder and chief strategy officer at SongTrust, a service that helps music makers and rights holders collect their royalties. He's also an executive at his parents' company, Downtown Music Holdings, which owns companies like CD Baby, AdRev, and Downtown Music Publishing. Joe's had an amazing, diverse career in technology, music, and even real estate. I want to find out about that. Joe was named a digital power player by Billboard magazine in 2016, 2017, and 2018 just so far. So we're definitely eager to hear how he's risen and how he's managed it. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. We'd love to find out first about kind of your career trajectory, maybe a few different moves you've made that have been kind of interesting, that have helped you kind of carve your path or risen or wherever you might describe it. Early on, I wanted to try to do a bunch of different jobs so I could do almost any job or at least know how maybe to hire people in that role or at least understand the skills needed to hire consultants or make it happen really well. And so I went into a bunch of different industries and a bunch of different roles, ranging from finance, technology, marketing, IT, application development, product management, um, to strategy work, analyst work, uh, and really just sought ways to diversify my skill set and also my broaden my horizons. Did certain jobs teach you some indelible lessons? Like which jobs? I think... One of my most impactful jobs was at Morgan Stanley. You know, I joined as an intern, but within an hour and a half was essentially doing full-time work um, and was going to school, part, like night school at that point. And we really were on this big group around uh, metrics and, and KPIs. And so I got to learn how, to, how the numbers work, really, and how to present numbers to executives, how to read numbers, how to analyze numbers, and how to really think thoughtfully about the bigger picture through the lens of not just statistics, but also how things are going and get a, get a real feel for, for these things. And this has helped me for years and years since. We've had a few guests that started in finance and then kind of evolved into different areas. Do you feel like those you know, hard skills you learn help set you up for success? And It doesn't hurt. I, it, I, I came into finance as a total novice. You know, I was a computer scientist by, by training and I really sought to learn it. So I, I think the big thing for me was I just wanted to learn about all these esoteric things that, that I thought maybe one day might be useful or at least it'll just keep me intellectually curious. And so I would sit down and I'd read the, at first I started reading the Wall Street Journal every day and I'd look up terms I didn't know. I, I graduated from the Wall Street Journal to Financial Times and for about a year, I would just look up all the weird, you know, the Greeks, the deltas, the betas, the structured finance terms and all the weird stuff that you hear about happening and then you maybe never see in real life until then you do. And 10 years later in your career. Are you a business school guy? Did you go? I didn't do business school, um, but I think part of that, that reading the journal every day, reading the FT every day, it certainly didn't hurt because you'd go there, you'd read the term, and then you'd go out to you know an HBS article or an Investopedia article, and you go read a case. And so I feel like I got the uh, business school experience. Yeah, we talked to a lot of different guests about what is it, do you think you need to do it or you don't need to do it or what kind of advice would you give people? I, I didn't. I think for some people, it makes total sense, you know, especially if you're, you're mid-career and you're feeling like you need to take a break or if you really have maybe not had done the hard skill stuff. And maybe you, if you can get into a really good one, you think the network is going to be incredibly valuable. I think for some people, it really makes sense. For others, the path's just different. And 
those two years are big two years out of out of school and also just this prep for it. So I didn't see it being necessary for me. I also got pretty lucky and found a great company to work with and build. And so that kind of knocked me out of the uh, business school age range. For those that can't take two years off, would you advise to go part time? I don't know. I, I think you can learn a lot of the skills for free online these days. And I think the the big value I've seen is that network um, and the accelerated training. So I think there's other ways to learn those hard skills, whether it be one of these extension programs or just studying late at night and reading lots of books um, and maybe joining some sort of study group or something or, you know, getting some new mentors. But right. those hard skills are really, really valuable in certain careers, but not all careers. Right. They talk, some people talk about like your professional kind of balance sheet as being your experience, your skills, and your network. And you mentioned network. Is there anything you've done like, deliberately to grow your network? Or are you very conscious of that? Early on, I, I did a lot of group going, going to various groups and meetups and whatnot. But I think more valuable was taking people I'd meet and doing smaller, like four to 10, 12 person sessions. We do dinners, we do all those kind of things where you start to get to know each other and beyond just the, the you know, top level. That and, you know, being in my seat, I'm, I'm really lucky I get to go to all around the world and go to all these conferences. So I've been able to really, I think, accelerate my network inside the music industry to where, um, you know, may take probably other people 15, 20 years because I sit in, on the confluence of so many different sides of the business, whether it be on the digital side, dealing with all the lawyers, all the managers, all the labels um, who are some of my customers, some of my partners. Uh, I got to meet a lot of people very quickly and I had something to say to them and I had something to offer in terms of, I knew all these people very quickly after a while. I was also the weird technology guy who they could ask questions that were at the time, you know, not commonplace in the industry around technology. And, and I had, a, I think, an opinion at that point or at least some insight into some of the ways we could help solve some of the problems of the industry. And so I think being able to offer something back is, is most important in terms of building your network. And, you know, I, I don't expect anything when I meet anyone. I just want to offer some value. And so I think um, having that coming from a different angle into somewhere where I could maybe offer some insight was, was an accelerant to, to grow my network. How, can you tell us about how you got started in the music industry? It's typically a tough industry to break into. Yeah, and, and so many people want to break in and, and for probably for half the wrong reasons. I mean, if you if you like music, you probably don't want to actually work in the music industry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll be all the fun out of it. Although, you know, you get to see a lot of great music in, in the industry. So it's, it's exciting in that sense. But um, we, I sat down with uh, a good friend of mine. She was, she was working with uh, my co-founder, Justin Klifowitz, and the CEO of SongTrust in Downtown Holdings. Um, and she was working with them through her MBA at um, the music program that's combined with Stern at NYU. And she explained to me what she was doing a little bit and what the company did. And I went in and she's like, you got to meet this guy, Justin. He, you need someone to help him build this product. And so I came in, he explains music publishing to me. It's all fax machines. Royalties take two, three, four years to get your, get there if they ever get there. If the money isn't allocated to the right person, it just goes to Beyonce and Taylor Swift and the biggest songwriters just mm -hmm. by market share. It's called a black box. It's really quite sad. And so I'm hearing this kind of sad tale of music industry. And Justin asked me, what, do you want to try to fix it a little bit? And I said, well, I guess I'm crazy enough to try. What's, what's the hardest part of your job now at, at, during this high growth stage? Like professionally, what, what's the biggest challenge? I'm managing really fantastic leaders now, and they are all incredibly bright, and they are all now providing a different insight into the way I've always thought about the business. So it's finding the balance of when you have to just let go and say, you know what, they are smarter than me, 
they know what they're doing, even though I feel weird about this and we did it this way for a long time, that's probably a better way, or at least we have to do it their way if we're going to be effective anyway. So learning to let go um, at, at this scale has been um, a big learning experience. And it's been really good, though, for me, because I've been able to focus on where I think I'm uniquely positioned in the in the enterprise to add value. And in terms of, um, you know, you got involved with uh, your company, you said when Spotify was just 10 million subscribers, and now it's over 100 million. Where do you see the trends going? What's ne- what's next in music streaming and streaming in general? We're seeing two big, big trends in the industry, I think. Social user generated content, whether it be TikTok or um, Tunemoji, or uh, even Instagram, the way they're integrating music lyrics even into in, into Instagram stories, that whole space will be incredibly transformed in the next three years. And everyone is in massive experimentation phase. And it's a bit troublesome for the industry because it is a bit of a a hark back to, oh, well, this is promotional. Maybe we shouldn't have to pay as much. And well, actually, it's promotional, but it's really creating incredible engagement on the platform. So maybe you do have to pay as much. Um, So it's, it's an interesting time with that trend happening and, and exploding. And I don't think the average person has even any clue, unless they have a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid, mm-hmm. um, how big these things are and how big they're going to be. And, you know, it's a casino for teenagers. So they're all addicted to this stuff. Um, and, it, and adding music just makes it even more sticky. The AI side of things, I, if you think about the way that Instagram filters and stories have become a lot easier to create over the last year as the means of production really decreased in terms of I can make a pretty good looking photo and just off my phone and it doesn't it's not that hard I don't have to be a virtuoso musician to go into an AI music um, service and create something that's uniquely mine combined with what the the AI has kind of given me and but has its own sound and I feel like I put my fingerprint on it in the same way that you know putting a good lens on my my photo make it look 10 times better than had I tried to do it myself. I don't, I don't know how to tweak the settings maybe on the ISO or the, or the, the camera, but on, um, on the AI music platform, you can really say, oh, I actually like a, a faster drum or I like a uh, deeper percussion or I want to have this riff hit here. And you can make it sound pretty good without trying too hard, frankly. So, so with AI, the growth of AI and content, we're, in, you know, we're seeing so much more, as you, as you said, user-generated content. What does that do to premium content? Whether you're listening to study music or, you know, like the, the kind of cafe music that's relatively um, commoditized and repeatable, that may, that kind of stuff that doesn't have a story may start to be replaced by AI music. But everyone in, who listens to music generally cares about the story. You want to hear about what is this band? What is this rapper? What is this artist doing? that is beyond just the, the lyrics and the melody. Beyond that, I think the level of creativity, you know, every time you think, oh, well, this is this theme of this, you know, type of music is this moment in time might be there forever, or maybe there'll be a new thing. Um, there, some people are always innovating. So I don't, I don't see AI really just wiping that out whole hog. So do you see the, mu- the, the pie of the music publishing business getting bigger? Absolutely. And, you know, these AI music companies are going to have rights to, to monetize and we're going to help them out there. Our platform is uniquely suited to their scale. And so I've actually spent a lot of time trying to make a AI and mass scale music a big center of excellence for ours. So we ask every guest to give a thank you note. 
maybe a, a thank you to someone that either opened a door for you, gave you a break, gave you a nudge, someone like you'd like to thank. Who's yours? I had this fantastic high school business teacher. I was in this like uh, kind of uh, business academy in, in my public high school, which was really cool. She probably did this for the girls in the classroom, but she, because I was this little nerdy inside kid, she did all those sports analogies and what they actually mean in business. So she'd go over like a hole in one or, uh, you know, going the whole nine yards or uh, running the field. And I, you know, I had never really gotten into sports and I didn't understand any of this stuff. And so I got to get this like high level set of analogies that I've been really valuable in my career. And it seems so subtle, but it actually gives you a big leg up. And I want to thank her because she was, she was Tommy lot and she didn't know probably what she was explaining to the nerdy little kid in the room that would have never gotten any of this stuff anyway. Oh, thank That's you. Really nice. do, do you remember her name? Miss Detner. Yeah, she was great. Thank you, Miss Detner. Thank you, Miss Detner. So now it's time for, for top picks where we, uh, we each go around and pick something interesting, whether it's a book or a podcast or an app or some kind of life hack. Uh, Matt, you want to start us off? Mine is Visual Capitalist. It's a site that does data visualization on topics like markets, money, tech, green, everything. And it's great. Like they're great infographics. They're gorgeous. I always go there when I want to, you know, either learn something new or I need something um, on Twitter to impress you all. I just, I think it's a gorgeous site. Very nice. Joe? I've just picked up, uh, actually, quite nearly through the this trilogy, the three body problem. And I feel like I've learned armchair quantum physics uh, among this massively amazing page turner. And it's just a fantastic way. It, it, well, I should say it's changed the way I think about the universe, really, in, in very few books, let alone sci-fi, do that to you. Interesting. Uh, my pick's another podcast. Um, it's called Exponential View by Azim Azar. Um, it's an HBR podcast, but uh, he dives into all different technology angles and some of his recent episodes on uh, artificial intelligence and specifically beneficial uses of artificial intelligence are, are, are very interesting. So that's another episode of Rising. Thanks so much, Joe, for joining us. Where can people find you? My pleasure. I'm Joe Conyers, C-O-N-Y-E-R-S, pretty much on all the social platforms. Cool. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for having me. Our theme music was created for us by Movers and Shakers, a really cool creative studio who use original music and dance to bring brands to life. It's such a fresh approach to telling a brand story, and their work really engages emotionally with consumers. In fact, they recently won a Webby. You can watch their videos for Match.com, Little Tykes, and others on their website, MoversShakers.co.